Good to be in God's house this morning. Morning, church. Before we get into everything, I just want to take a moment and uh, just acknowledge what God did on Friday night with our women and our sisterhood celebration. So grateful. Um, just a real quick uh, shout out to all of you who volunteered to help put all that together. The Adoring team, uh, Miss Angelique, Pastor Ariel, all the volunteers. Uh, we even recruited a bunch of young men to come and set up and tear down. I know some of the ladies are like, why are there men here? Uh, so that you can enjoy the night and not have to do anything. And so we just recruited a couple of guys to come and, and just help out. And uh, we're very grateful for our guest, Holly Davis, who gave a powerful, powerful word. And um, I just want to say, if you missed it, we were able to record the message. And so that should be available this week on our Spotify or on uh, wherever you listen to us online. It's audio only, so it's not on YouTube, but it is audio only. So if you're in the drive and uh, you want to listen to the message Holly gave, whether you're a man or a woman, it's applicable. But uh, it was such a great word. We want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity. Or maybe you just want to hear it again. And sometimes the second time soaks in a little bit more. Uh, it's available to you hopefully this week. Amen? Uh, you know, I was thinking about even as we were singing this song, and um, the fact that God does all these things, that God is able and, and the reasoning behind it. And I feel like a lot of times our perception of God is based on that, our perception. And so we, we end up shaping God and how we think God looks and how we feel God should be, not necessarily in accordance to God's word or what God declares about himself. Uh, oftentimes it's based on how I would do it if I were God. And one of the, the bigger issues that people, whether they're believers or even more unbelievers have when it comes to this perception of God is we feel like God should be more fair. We look at scenarios and we go, that just doesn't seem fair. And we're, we're kind of obsessed, I think recently more than ever, with this idea of fairness. So everything should be fair and everybody should have everything. And, and, and I get the sentiment and I get the heart behind fairness, but how many have heard growing up, life's not fair, right? And how many heard that from your mom and dad, right? You go and you ask, well, how come you gave it to her? How come you gave it to her? That's not fair. And then they look at you and go, homie, life's not fair. Like, you think I wanted to be your, no. <laughs> so so you, you have these scenarios oftentimes where, where the reality kicks in and still we, we often fight and we get mad when we feel like life's not fair. But here's the reality. More often than not, we feel like that when we feel like life's not fair for us. I don't care if it's not fair for you as long as I'm doing all right. But the second it's not fair to me or in my perception, now I have an issue with it. And so a lot of times we take that perception and we put it on God and we get angry with God or frustrated with God or doubt God because we look at a scenario and we say, but God, that's not fair. Why is it that so-and-so got promoted, they're a liar, they're a cheater, they're lazy, how come they're getting promoted, and I'm here serving you, being faithful, and nothing has happened to me? God, that's not fair. How come, you know, my neighbor who's half drunk all the time and, you know, cheating on his wife and doing it, but he's living his best life and he's getting all the things he wants, and here I am honoring, scraping by, check to check, God, that's not fair. And so we, we oftentimes, if we're honest with ourselves, and listen, this isn't anything new. You see it all throughout scripture where, where they start looking at things and they're like, whoa, 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 how come, how come I got this and he got that? That's why the Bible talks about the Ten Commandments, not to covet. 
Because we start looking at other people's things. And it reminds me, even when I was a little kid, I remember at Christmas time, we all did this as kids, right? We're like, well, which one's mine? And if you got siblings, you go, well, which one's theirs? And as you're looking at the presents, you're like, how come they got five presents and I got four? How come their present is bigger than my present? No, that's not fair. I want that. I remember for me in particular, there was one uh, Christmas where I was angry. I'm like, Jenny, my little sister, she got this big old box. Like, I, why does she get the big one? And I got this ugly little one. And I was like heated the whole time until we opened up our presents. And Jenny got a, a big wheel. I was like, I don't even ride big wheels anymore. I don't care about a big wheel. And I got what I prayed for for five years, a Nintendo Entertainment System. <laughs> Ignore the fact that Super Nintendo had just come out. But I got what I wanted. Like it just it took five years for me to get it. And so I'm, I'm saying all that because even though we think we want a fair God, we are very, very fortunate that we don't have that. God, God doesn't describe himself as fair. God describes himself as gracious. And we are very fortunate that he is full of grace and not full of fairness. Because if God was full of fairness, we'd all be in trouble. If we all received what was fair, none of us would be in this room. If we all received what was fair, we'd all go to hell. If we all received what was fair, we would all be tortured and hurting. And, and because all of us have offended God, all of us have sinned against God, all of us have received grace and still gone against God. And yet God doesn't look at you and give you what's fair he looks at you with his loving grace, and he says, in spite of all that, I will be gracious to you. I want to talk to you, not just today, but this month. I really want to talk about the grace of God, because I feel like many of us struggle with really comprehending and living under the grace of God. We constantly beat ourselves up. We're constantly overly critical of ourselves. We, we constantly feel like God is quitting on us and abandoning us because we've outlived our grace or outrun our grace. And we have all these issues, I think, in a main area because we fail to understand what it means to live by grace and to embrace the grace of God. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at Romans. And particularly today, I want to look at Romans chapter 5, just three verses, verse 15 through 17. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 5. And I would encourage you over the next several weeks, kind of dig into Romans. Uh, I was telling my wife, the hard part with sermons like this is I can write 50 million sermons on this one topic. And so I had such a scatterbrain. I'm like, but what do you want me to say, God? Like, because I'm like, oh, this is a good thought, and that's a good thought, and those don't relate to each other, but they're good thoughts. And so, uh, you know, take time on your own and, and really let the Lord speak to you as we're diving in to this idea of grace. But for this morning, I want us to focus in on these three verses, verse 15 through 17. Listen to what the word of the Lord says. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Christ Jesus, overflow to the many. Let me pause right there to give you context. Paul is writing a letter to Rome and he's explaining original sin coming through Adam. In other words, Adam and Eve sinned, 
right? And says, through this one man, Adam, we are now born with a sinful nature. Humanity was separated from God the moment he sinned. And now all of us, no matter who you are, background, culture, whatever, we are all born with this sinful nature, a propensity to sin. You don't have to teach anybody to sin. I have three babies. They all sin. Even little Luca, little sinner, all of them sin, okay? He looked at me side out of the other time. I, like, I know what you're thinking, son. That's a sin. Like, we're all born into it. You don't have to learn it. You don't got to go to school for it. Like, some of y'all got to go to school to not do it. Like, we, we all have a propensity to sin, and we can all trace it back to Adam. This isn't even about the law, and this is what part, part of what Paul is trying to explain. He's like, no, no, no. Sin predates the law. Long before there were ever any rules and regulations, we were already sinning. We had already offended God. And so we walk into the game 10 points behind, okay? We have all sinned, and it all is because of this one man. And we would look at that and go, well, God, that's not fair. Why am I being punished for the first human? It has nothing to do with me. And yet all of us struggle and suffer and are born into a sinful nature because one dude couldn't control himself and ate a fruit he was told not to. And again, in our own carnal eyes, we would look at God and say, God, that's not fair. Now, here's the reality. It may not be fair, but it is just. God said something, we violated it, and God has to follow through with what he says. I just mentioned I have kids. Here's something I'm learning. Whatever I say, I got to do. If I tell them don't do this or else you're going to get a pow-pow, and they do it, if I don't deliver the pow-pow, they don't respect me after that. They just know you ain't going to do nothing. I'm like, and all it gets to you. But again, I got to be a man of my word. Even if it's not, you're like, you shouldn't hit you. Okay, well, I'm not like beating them, guys. But still, even if it's like, hey, you don't get to watch TV or you don't get this treat or you don't get that. Whatever you say as a parent, you know, I got to follow through. Because if I don't follow through, you're not going to respect me. Well, how much more would it work for God? If God said, listen, do this or you will die. And then they do it like, I didn't die, liar. And then they just moved on with their life. So God, being a just God, not a fair God, but a just God, had to follow through with what he said. And so sin enters into all of humanity through one man. It may not be fair, but it is just. But then listen to what he says. Let me read that verse again. But the gift, meaning what came from Jesus, is not like the trespass, what came from Adam. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So it's not fair that all of us have to suffer in sin because of one man. But instead of trying to be fair, God was gracious and he sent his one and only son to atone for that sin. So sin enters in through one man, salvation enters in through another. God cancels it out and God says, you are clean and washed away. Just like you didn't earn your sin as a baby and you were born into it, you didn't earn your salvation either. It is a gift that was come through one man and it overflowed to many. It says, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespasses of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more who received God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign and life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What, he, what he's saying here, he's saying, listen, if you think this is crazy, right, the fact that one man sins and it's, you know, a fruit from a tree 
turns into, think of all the sin that's ever happened. Think of the wars that are fought, the genocide that's been committed, the murders, the, the lust, the rape, everything that's despicable about humanity, the, the sex trafficking, the human trafficking, like all the worst aspects of humanity are results of sin entering into the world. And he, what Paul is saying, all those trespasses, which all those things were happening in Paul's day, all as many as they were, trump in comparison to the grace of God as what comes through Jesus is going to be much more powerful than that. So if you look at the world and say, look at how messed up it is, I'm telling you right now, it's contrasting to how great God is. So there's a few things I want us to understand about God's grace in light of this scripture. And the first thing is this, it's kind of what I just mentioned. God's grace is greater than man's sin. God's grace is greater than man's sin. It doesn't matter how bad your sin is. It doesn't matter how depraved it was. It doesn't matter how low you sank. It doesn't matter where you're good. There is no depth of sin that grace cannot reach. And that is hard for us to understand. And we're going to actually go more into that specifically next week. But just to touch on it right now, it's important for you to understand that no matter how convoluted and evil and destroyed and messed up and crooked this world is, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is enough. He has enough grace to say, I will forgive you and I will lead you out of that. Oh, but pastor, you don't know the stuff I've done. You don't know how far I've gone. And, and, and I just, I don't know if I can ever come back to God. I don't know if I can ever do it. I don't know if I have the strength. And listen, that's what grace is. It's not your strength. It's not your ability. And it's not your, it's God's gift to you. And it's God saying, no, I will give you the grace to come out of that. I will give you the grace to return to me. I will give you the grace to stand up and run again. It is by the grace of God, not by your efforts. And so again, when you read your list of sin, and the enemy loves to point it out. The enemy is very good at saying, but what about this and what about that? What about the things pastor doesn't know? What about the things your family doesn't know? What about the things only you and I know? We know what you did. And you can look at that and say, you know what? It's not just you and I that know what I did. God knows what I did. And God's not holding this sin against me any longer. God is gracious enough to say, I'm willing to forgive that. I'm willing to take you back in. Well, what do I have to do, God? Nothing. It's called grace. Grace is undeserved favor from the Lord. You didn't do anything to earn it, so you can't do anything to lose it. It is the grace of God. It is just solely from him has nothing to do with your effort. And so it's not like, okay, well, if I'm going to get this grace, then I need to pray this many prayers, attend service this many times, serve in these many ministries, be a Christian for this long. It has nothing to do with that. You're missing the point of grace. The point of grace is that it's a freely given gift from God by his choosing to say, no, I wiped that clean. It has nothing to do with any of those other things because I love you more than what you've done. And it has nothing to do with the other stuff. Listen, Ephesians chapter one, verse seven through eight says, in him, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. In other words, let's take this into terms of uh, being a slave to sin, right? Like you're in slavery and the, the amount of money that it would take to bring you out of that captivity is insurmountable except for the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills who has the riches beyond riches and says, no, 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 I have so much grace, you can't even fathom it. 
There is no company on this planet that has more money than I have grace. And so what does he say? He says, my forgiveness of my sins, the redemption through the blood of Christ came in accordance to what? The riches of God's grace that he what? Lavished on us. God's sitting here making it great and grace on you. And he's saying, oh, that sin, I got you. That issue, no problem. But God, I don't deserve it. I don't do what you deserve. I do what I want. And I want to show grace upon you. That's why the Bible says, thank God that we don't, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. So it's not about what you deserve. It's about what he wants to do. And he chooses, according to his word, to lavish grace on us. I love that word. We need to bring that word back into circulation. Lavish. I don't even know how I would use it. I lavished cologne. I don't know. That would smell bad anyway. I don't know how to use the word lavish other than it's an overwhelming sense. That it covers every aspect. If you are lavished in something, it's all over you. It has covered you completely. In your- so when God lavishes grace, it's not just grace on this part of your life. It's not just grace on this one thing you did. It's grace that covers a multitude of sin. It's grace that says all of it. Oh, even the secret things you don't want anybody to know about. My grace is lavished upon you. Why? Because I love you. There's no other way. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You haven't won up to it. It has nothing to do with anything except for the fact that I love you and that I desire you. And if this one thing or this area of sin or this part of your life is what's keeping you from me, I will lavish enough grace to win you back to me. That is the beauty of God's grace. And so the reason I'm trying to emphasize this so much, church, is we are the ones that often push God away because we feel like we've outrun his grace. But God is saying, no, 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 I lavish my grace on you. I have so much grace, you can't even understand it. The second thing is it's important to understand that God's gift comes by grace, not by reward. God's gift comes by grace, not reward. What's that gift? The gift of salvation, the gift of a relationship with Jesus Christ, the gift of atonement, the gift of the forgiveness of your sins. This gift that was given through Jesus Christ was given by grace. That's that's how it was orchestrated. That's how it was delivered to you. Okay? So it's like like saying, uh, you know, I bought you the gift, but Amazon delivered. Okay? I ain't going to show up with it. (laughs) I sent somebody to give it to you. So somebody can buy me a gift on Amazon, but if it's not delivered to me, what does it matter? Like I have to be able to have it. (laughs) And so God said, listen, I have sent you this free gift and it's come by way of grace. Speaking of Amazon, I don't remember anybody who doesn't have free Amazon anymore. It makes me laugh too. This has nothing to do with anything, but I just think it's funny. We will buy the dumbest thing that's $2 just to get free shipping on certain things when we don't have it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like spend $20 and pay $7 for shipping. Spend $50 and get free shipping. $50. Right? I have no idea why we do that. But, but the, the idea is God covers the shipping. God covers the grace. God is saying, listen, I, I am giving you this gift, and I'm not going to be the kind of jerk that says, hey, here's a free present, but you got to pay for the shipping. He said, no, no, here's a free gift. And it's covered by the grace of God. It's already taken care of. It's already purchased. You just got to receive it. That's why it says the gift that came by grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 through 9 says it like this. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. 
this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. No one in this room, present company included, has any right to be boastful or proud about what they've earned in the kingdom of God. Because everything we've earned in the kingdom of God was through grace. My salvation is through grace. The forgiveness of my sins is through grace. The sanctification of my personhood is through grace. Everything I receive from God has nothing to do with what I've earned because all I've truly earned is sin and death. But what I've received is grace. Church, it's important we understand because too often we work really hard to try to earn God's grace. Right, like Even like when we were singing a second, let it be a sweet sound in your ear. That's not about earning it. That's just about loving God. Like, hey, my hope is that my song would please you, Lord. Not because I'm desperate to please you, otherwise I feel like you'll reject me. But because you haven't rejected me, so I want to please you. You are, you are not, it's just important to understand this. You're not valuable because you love God. You are valuable because God loves you. That's what brings inherent value to your life. That's what makes you special. That's what makes you unique. That's why God. So it's not about who you are or what you've done. The worst of the worst of us, and that's what Paul says about himself, among sinners, I am the chief sinner. And we would look, but Paul, you wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. He also murdered a lot of Christians. He also hunted them down. He also persecuted and basically blasphemed against God until the Lord knocked him off his horse, blinded him, and said, I'm going to make you a servant of mine. Why? Not because you've earned it, but because my grace is sufficient for you. That's why when Paul talks about later on how he was tormented by a demon and three times he pleaded with the Lord to have her removed. And each time God said, no. Why? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. I'm going to use you and I'm going to lift you up. And again, Paul, it's not about how good you are. I love that Paul recognized. Listen, I'm a chief sinner. I know y'all sin. I've sinned worse. I know y'all have messed up. I've messed up worse. And if I start to think about it, if you look at some of the people, you know, we argue with cancel culture and stuff like that. David would have been canceled a long time ago. David <laughs> slept with a woman that was not his wife, murdered her husband, took her in. More than anything, he probably raped her. That's, you know, the idea of his power over her. And he kept his crown. Now, there were several consequences. If you obviously read the story, there was a great suffering that came as a result of his sin. There were consequences to his sin. But there is very few people that even come close to the idea that we have of perfection outside of Jesus Christ in the Bible. And that's important for us to recognize because the depravity of your sin pales in comparison to the lavishness of God's grace. It doesn't matter what you do. You're not going to be able to earn it, but you can receive it. Which is the third thing if you're taking notes. God's grace must be received. Going back to that scripture, it said those who receive God's abundant provision of grace. Those who received God's abundant provision of grace. I think it's easy to kind of jump to the abundant provision of grace part, which is incredibly important. And again, just a hint of probably what we're going to talk about next week. But notice he says those who received, which means there are those who don't receive. And so here's the difference. Sin, when it entered in through Adam, became natural at birth for everybody. 
We are all born into a sinful nature. God sends Jesus Christ this amazing gift to atone for our sins, to pay the sacrifice once and for all for everybody. And now salvation is made available through grace. But that doesn't mean you have it inherently. It means you still have to receive it. That's what it means to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The, the, it's already covered. It's already paid. You just have to receive it. And it doesn't matter how much you want it if you don't receive it. Like, like I can be dying of thirst. I can just be in the desert, you know, completely wiped out, days without drinking, literally dying, seeing this bottle of water and wanting nothing but it. But if I don't reach for it, if I don't receive it, if I don't take it in, I will still die of thirst. And so we are dead in our sins. We are starving. We are thirsty for the presence of God. We know we need him. We know we want him. We know we have access to him. But for whatever reason, our arms are short. And we refuse to receive what God freely has given. Because maybe you feel like, well, I, I just, I don't deserve it. Or, you know, I, I used to live for God, but, Pastor, I've really messed up and I've, and I've really been struggling. I just, I've gone too far. And I need you to understand that is not a thing in the kingdom of God. The Bible says in Psalms, right, even if I make my bed in the depths of hell, you are with me. Like, there is no too far while there's breath in your lungs, while there's a heartbeat, while you are still alive. There is no too far gone, no matter how much you've sinned, no matter how bad you've messed up. But you still have to receive it. You still have to accept it. Listen, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says it like this. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you and corrupting many. Look at that first part. Look after each other so that no one fails to receive the grace of God. In other words, you can fail to receive it. God is offering you something and you are failing to receive what God is trying to give you. You know, one of the I think it's a scam, but <laughs> I often will get gift cards. People will give it to me as a gift or as a present, or I'll be at a conference and they'll be handing out gift cards. Now, there's a standing rule in my family that I'm not allowed to have gift cards. I can receive them. I just can't keep them. And the reason is my wife will often go through stuff, and she'll be like, what are all these gift cards? I'm like, I don't know, it's gift cards. She's like, this one's from 15 years ago. The store doesn't even exist anymore. By the way, y'all should have been using the Bed Bath & Beyond gift cards. It's going to be gone. So you're not allowed to keep them anymore. Like, I'm going to keep them. Why? Because the scam of the gift card is they already got your money. They give you this card, and they know you're never going to redeem that. It's going to go in a drawer. It's going to go in your wallet. You'll forget about it, and you'll never use it. You're never redeemed what's been freely given to you. You have access to it. You have an opportunity for it. There is literally free money in some of y'all wallet. Some of y'all are feeling like, ugh. Some of you young adults, y'all better be at that financial sermon because your biggest waste of money is definitely food. A hundred percent. And if you ain't careful, you ain't gonna grow out of it. You might have a little bit more money, but you get more food too. So you gotta be careful. But again, that's the issue. And so here's the problem. There's a gift card that God has given you through grace. And many of us in this room are failing to redeem it. We're failing to receive it and redeem it and say, God, I accept the gift that you have given me through grace. And again, I don't know why you're not receiving it. 
It could be guilt. could be shame. could be what we were talking about earlier in the scripture where it says the consequences of that one man's sin was condemnation. This idea that I'm terrible, I'm horrible, I'm undeserving, I'm unworthy, no one should care about me, and I'm going to continue to feel terrible about myself. Condemnation pulls us away from God. And because of that, when God offers this wonderful free gift, we think to ourselves, no, I don't deserve that. I'm not good enough for that. And I need you to understand, you're 100% right. You don't deserve it. You're not good enough. But that doesn't disqualify you from receiving it. Listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat. I'm not going to paint this like, you're amazing and you're loved and you're fantastic and you're wonderful. That all might be true. But the reality also is that we all fall short of the glory of God. That all of us have sinned. That every one of us has offended God. That all of us, our righteousness are like filthy rags before the Lord. That no man is righteous, not even one. And yet the Bible tells us as we read that we are justified and made righteous before God because of his wonderful and incredible grace. And so for me, I never had an issue with it because I just accepted, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. I know I continue to mess up. But here's the reality. Don't look at your sin and then just feel terrible, bad, and crawl into a hole. Look at your sin in light of the grace of God, and it only magnifies his grace. Because you realize, wait, wait, wait. You still love me even though I've done this? Yes. You still want me even though I've done this? Yes. You still care about me, God. Even though I've rejected you, I've turned my back on you, I've messed up, I've fumbled. Yes, 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 and yes. Why? Because my grace is enough for you. Because I choose to. It's unmerited favor upon you. Pastor Jason, worship team, if you can help me out. Let me go back to that scripture one more time in Romans 5. <laughs> if you guys can get that up, Romans 5, 15 through 17, right at the beginning. It says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. By the way, you can take those words many and replace it with all. For if many died, all died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace, the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Christ Jesus, overflow to all? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. What's the result of that sin? The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, this idea that you have been rejected. But the gift followed many trespasses. I love that. See, you sinned at birth, but the gift of salvation, it was after you sinned. It followed many trespasses. In other words, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were in your worst of your worst. This, this always makes me laugh, and I don't know if uh, this young man is here, but I remember last year we, um, we had a death in our church, and a uh, young man who was in an accident. And after the service, his cousin who had been coming to the church, I'm not trying to embarrass you, bro, so I won't say your name, but he had been coming to the church with his cousin before he had passed away. 
And um, just visiting, checking it out, taking it in. And then we're at the funeral and tons of kids are at this funeral, over 300. And I, I do a call to salvation and many give their life to the Lord. And then after the service, the young man stuck around his cousin. And he pulls me aside. We're just, almost just us left. He says, Pastor Joe, I want you to know that um, when you ask people if they want to raise their hand and accept salvation, that like, I, I, you know, I didn't, but I'm working on it. And if you're here, I'll tell you this now. I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't know if you sensed it. That kind of really upset me. <laughs> I'm working on it. What do you even mean? Like you just saw that you don't have tomorrow promised. What are you working on? Who, who gets healed to go to the hospital? That doesn't make sense. What are you working on? Like, like who gets fit so that then they can go to the gym? Like what are you working on? I said, you don't have tomorrow. What does that even mean? I go, listen, do you love God? Yes. Do you believe God loves you? Yes. Do you want to give your heart to the Lord and receive him as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Then let's do it right here. I kid you not, he looked at me like, right here? I said, I don't have to be on the front with a microphone to do this with you, bro. We were right in that aisle, just standing in a corner by the doorway. And I had the honor and the privilege of walking this young man through salvation. Right then, right there. No band, no music, no people, no shouting, just me, him, in the presence of God. And I just need you to know, again, I can't see if you're here, but I just need you to know if you're watching or if you're here, I'm so proud of you. Because I've seen you since that moment. You didn't just receive it and walk away, but you've grown. You've gotten baptized. I saw you at Breakaway. I saw you worshiping in the front. I saw you coming to Anchor. I've seen you now getting involved, lifting up your hands, leading and moving. And I'm so incredibly proud that you didn't wait for the next day, but you received the grace that God was giving you in the moment. Bible tells us that oftentimes there's a gift called the prophetic gift where God chooses to speak to his people through an utterance and through a prophetic word. And I believe what the word of the Lord is saying and our sister is echoed is that God desires you more than you ever know. That was a word for someone in this room today to no longer hold back. to Stop making up excuses and reasons why you're not good enough. And to just acknowledge that God is good enough. Let me give you one more thought. The end of that scripture talked about a reign of life. God reigns on a throne made of grace. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. 
just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's what the Lord just spoke to us, that God is enough and that his wonderful throne of grace gives you the opportunity to boldly come before him and receive mercy and grace when you need it most. When we come, that we may obtain mercy. Listen, mercy is not getting what we deserve and that we find grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. We get that if we are willing to say yes. So I'm going to ask you to stand in this moment. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. This is your moment, young man, young lady, sir, ma'am, child. Everything we were doing right now is for this opportunity. Even you, prodigal, those of you who have walked away from the Lord and there's a whole wall of condemnation that you feel like is preventing you. Listen, I'm not saying, hey, listen, give your life to God and then get back into serving and get back into leading and get back into doing all these things. No, 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 I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying get back to God, to your relationship with the Lord. That first, foremost, and only. I don't, again, all due respect, it doesn't even bother me if you don't ever come back to this specific church, but get plugged in, get connected to the presence of God and to the body of God and continue. Don't allow anything to stop you from receiving the gracious and wonderful gift that God has for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this place and either you've never received salvation, you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have never accepted and received that free gift that has come through grace, or maybe you have, but the reality is you've walked away, you've messed up, and you feel like you're so far gone that you don't deserve it, but today the Lord has reminded you over and over again, it was never about your deserving, it is about my grace. So if you're in this place and you want to get right with the Lord, you want to receive him as Lord and Savior, you want to get your heart connected to God, just signal me by lifting up your hand. If that's you, sir, ma'am, I'm going to pray for you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. Come on. If that's you, don't wait for anybody else. Thank you, brother. Tomorrow's not promised to anybody. Tomorrow's not promised to anybody. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Now listen, I, I, I know this feels like a lot, but I'm going to ask you to take that one more bold step. I would love for the honor to physically pray with you in the front. I, I want to be able to look you in the eye. I want to be able to hug you. I want to be able to talk to you in a moment. So would you do me a favor? If you lifted up your hand or if you were supposed to, would you just make your way out of your seat and join us up here so we can pray with you, so we can walk you through these steps? I, I know this is hard. I know a lot of hands got raised, but would you just trust me? Listen, the first one that does it, everybody else will follow suit. Come on. Church, would you give it up for them? Would you celebrate them?
church, can you extend your hands out toward these men? Gentlemen, just repeat after me. Church, follow along. Repeat with us. Say, Jesus, I thank you, God, for this free gift of grace and the salvation that you are offering. And I accept it, Lord. And I ask you, God, forgive me of my sins. Wipe them away. Throw them in the sea of forgetfulness. And help me remember them no longer. That I may receive you, God. And all that comes with this wonderful, gracious gift. Help me, Father. So live like you. To be who you called me to be. And to love how you called me to love. Thank you for this all, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, church. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Now listen, while our altar workers continue to minister to them, church, I need you to hear me. If you would do me a favor, church, and grab this communion cup that we tried to give you on your way in. Altar workers, keep ministering. Walk them through. I know we have some supplies. Pastor Ariel's getting together. We want to make sure we give you a packet. Church, if you can take this out. This is the grace of God right here. That his blood was spilled and his body was broken for the atonement of our sins. Jesus mandated that we would do this in remembrance of him for two reasons. To remember the promise fulfilled and to remember the promise to come. The promise fulfilled that my blood will be spilled and my body broken for the atonement of your sin. The promise to come that I will return for my people and that we will experience eternity in the presence of the Lord. We may never forget this. So I'm going to ask you if you would take the bread and the cup together. Let us pray and then we'll take the cup together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this precious gift. We thank you, God, for your unending, abounding grace. We thank you, God, for the power of your presence. And Lord, we thank you for the blood that was spilled, the body that was broken, and the promise that was kept. God, this is proof. This is a reminder that you do what you say you will do. And you will do it again, God. We thank you in advance, Lord, for the promise that will be to come when you return for all your people, God. And that we will spend eternity in the presence of the Lord. So, Father, we ask you, help us to live a life worthy of that salvation. To walk in the grace of God all the days of our life. To be everything you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread and the cup together.